right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Slapshot Podcast. This is episode five. My name is Sam Nessler. I am joined today by my man, Warren Nielsen. What's going on, man? Not much. Just stoked to be back. Just living the dream right now. <laughs> it's good to have you back. Every time I do it without you, I miss you. It's a, a much more fun conversation when you're talking to someone else instead of just arguing with yourself over here. But good to have you back. Today, we got some awesome topics. We're going to talk about grinders in the NHL. We're going to talk about hockey movies. We're going to talk about the first quarter of the of the season, which there's been a ton of storylines, so we'll tackle a few of those, uh, including which players are over and underachieving for the season. And then we're going to get into a couple other fun topics at the end. But first thing I want to bring up is something that I just saw this morning. I don't know if you saw, did you see the video of Jordan Bennington from last night? No, I haven't seen it yet. I got, I was blown up about it that he's got this kind of some issues, but I'm going to have to tune in what happened. Yeah. So if you remember, I think, I don't know if it was last season or the season before, but he had this, this just temper tantrum in one of his games where he went off and was just trying to fight every player on the ice. Um, (laughs) And he's been known to have a little bit of a temper problem. I mean, he's only, what is he? 22 years, 23 years old. So he's a young kid, but last night was the most extreme I've seen. So he gets pulled. I believe it was the fourth goal the Sharks scored uh, in a game, which, by the way, ended 7-6 to six in regulation. Um, but he gets pulled after the fourth goal for the Sharks. Skating off, it was one of those rinks where they don't have uh, room on the bench for the backup goalie for the visiting team, which I think is absolutely hilarious. They have to sit in the corner yeah. of the rink by themselves. But he gets That's pulled, true. and he's skating over to the bench. And as he skates over, he just pushes one of the Sharks players. I don't even think the Sharks player said anything. It didn't look like it, anything started it. He just pushes him. And the guy kind of looks shocked. Then he starts to, to skate away towards the corner, almost punches Carlson in the face with his stick out of nowhere. He just, as he's skating by, throws a punch at him, yells at him. He looks like he's talking trash to everybody. And then as he's skating off to the corner, he slashes Dubnik and punches Dubnik in the head in the net for the Sharks. And Dubnik kind of throws a punch back. I don't. I don't know. You'll have to watch it and see, but I don't know what could have happened besides he just gave up a bad goal and got pulled and was just like, who can I take this out on right now? <laughs> but Dude, I, I just find it amazing that goalies, I mean, it's such a high pressure job, but I just think it's so funny when they talk a bunch of trash and I respect goalies that are good at it and goalies that are respected. But I just think like goalies that are getting shelled like he did and then getting yanked and then start talking trash. It's just the worst look and, and, sports you know you're like dude what you have nothing to talk about yeah like like, yeah you're just frustrated and just trying to take it out on somebody else it just looks bad but i i agree with you and some people kind of argue back and forth when he does something like this or anybody does something like this where you want passion you know you want people to be mad when they lose or show a little bit of fight that's what hockey's about but that just looks like a little kid who doesn't want to leave chuck e cheese you know on his birthday party (laughs) (laughs) just throwing a, a tantrum at everything he can but just wanted to bring that up. So definitely take a look at that if you haven't. Um, it's pretty funny. But let's jump right into the first topic here. Um, let's actually start with the the first quarter of the season. I want to look at the, the first quarter of the season before we get into some more specific uh, topics here. So big storylines of the first quarter of the season. You know, we talked at the beginning on our first podcast of what to look at and, you know, what stories might develop. Um, and not surprisingly, pretty much everyone that I said was going to be a storyline wasn't, and these all came out of nowhere and were surprising. So um, some big ones, though, that I want to talk about. Let's first talk about uh, the Florida teams. So if you remember correctly, if anyone read the division preview that Sam did at the beginning of the season, he said 
the Florida Panthers have always been said they were going to be a surprise team, and they haven't. And I don't think they will be this year. And I was completely wrong. <laughs> Absolutely wrong. They have come out on fire. I think they're 14, 3, and 4, something like that. Uh, 29 points tied with in first with the other Florida team, the Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. The, the Panthers have shown kind of what the Stars showed last year in the playoffs and towards the end of the year, where they just find a way to win no matter what, even if that means scoring four goals in the last seven minutes of a game or making a ridiculous comeback. So what do you think it is that makes these Florida teams so good? Obviously, we know a lot about the Lightning, but what what is it that the Panthers have that's making them so successful? I just think that, you know, for years people have been saying this is the team that's going to have a breakout year, have a breakout year, and they've had the the formula to do it. I mean, they got guys on the back end like Yandel and Ekblad, and then, you know, obviously just elite players like Barkov up front and even Hornquist and someone like Huberto, you know, they, they have a lot of depth. And I think with some rookies and, and really good play from someone like, you know, Bobrovsky, who's, who's, you know, debatably having, living up to his, you know, contract and expectations. But I just think that they're kind of firing on all cylinders, you know, and it, and it's cool to see, you know, I think they definitely, they earned where they're at too. I, I don't know what, what's your take for him and Quenville too. I, you know, he's a good coach, you know, obviously what he did with the Blackhawks and whatnot. So, I think it's just kind of a perfect storm for them in the best way. So, Yeah, the the thing that I saw the most in watching their games against the Stars last week uh, or this past week, they don't stop moving in the offensive zone. They're like one of those teams that the defense, all of a sudden you look up and Ekblad is in the corner and uh, you know Yandel is shooting from the, the goal line and they just don't stop cycling and moving and it just looks so difficult to defend. If you're not sound defensively and confident defensively, you're gonna you're gonna chase, and that all of a sudden turns into chances, penalties, and then when you do get the puck out, all you get to do get a chance to do is change, and then they're right back in the zone doing the same thing over again. So you can really get caught chasing that team. And I agree, they have. I didn't really realize how talented their back end was, but um, Ekblad is a good player. I mean, he. Yeah. He is a very good player on both ends of the ice, but a lot more creative offensively than I thought he was. And then they have uh, Bobrovsky, like we said, is should be one of the best goalies in the league for how much money he's making. But he hasn't really been. But they have brought. They always seem to find another guy to to bring that in. I think the guy's name is Dreider Dreeder. I never really know how to say it, but he's a yeah, rookie, yeah. And, and he's come in, and I I think he's he's basically just won every time he plays. Um, I think he only has one loss on the season in like seven starts. Yeah. Um, He's seven and two. Yeah. Seven and two. So amazing. It's just, it just seems like they're finding, finally finding the, the key because it always seemed to be one thing that held them back, whether it was Bobrovsky having a poor year or, you know, Barkov's hurt for a while or whatever it is. And it seems like those things aren't happening right now um, for them, which has been, you know, exciting for that team. And, they're called the cardiac cats by their fans right now because they're making those crazy comebacks most recently, uh, scoring three goals after the stars dominated them for 56 minutes, uh, scoring three goals in the last four minutes to win three to two, not only win, but win in regulation, uh, was just crazy. So looking to see what they do for the rest of the season will be interesting. And then we look at the Tampa Bay lightning who, so they win the Stanley cup last year, right? They, we all know they've had some crazy seasons. They had, uh, a run all the way to either the West Eastern Conference Final or the Stanley Cup Final three seasons ago. Then they have the best regular season by far 
two seasons ago and get swept in the first round. Then they have a mediocre, you know, pretty good regular season. Not not mediocre was the wrong word, but not the the President's Trophy 130-point season they had before. And they have the proper amount of adversity to allow them to make the run and win the cup. Now they've come out and they look like they're that that President's Trophy winning team again. Uh, seems like they're yeah. winning every game. And what they did that I noticed specifically is that they lead the league in goal scoring almost every year. They're in the top five of goal scoring, uh, shots, all those stats. But this year they're in the top five of goals against. And they've never finished that high in the past you know, five, ten years when they've been a really good offensive team. So how can anybody beat them is my question for you because you look at a team who's outscoring people. They're already winning the Stanley Cup while not being the best defensive team. Now they're adding to it a top five penalty kill and a top five goals against. So can anybody beat the Lightning? You know, it's hard to beat the Lightning. And and I think even though that they have the goals against stats, they do. Like Vasilevsky is still holding a 1.7 against five goals against average, you know, and, and splitting these kind of crazy 53 game season where they're playing back to back and everything. And I think they just look like a team that could win the cup. You know, you, this season, like we said, you know, earlier on is I think such a good test for that. These kind of playoff environments with rivalry games and back to back games and, and really compact schedules. And I just think that the lightning are coming out of it looking really strong. And so I, I don't know how you beat the lightning. I think you, you outscore them and then you don't let them score. I think they have to meet up against a hot goalie or they, they have to get their stars shut down, but they're they're just so deep. They're getting contributions, you know, from Stamkos, who's in his 80th year in the NHL and still crushing it, and and then still like Braden Points living up to it. You know, a third round guy that's that's scoring. You know, he's got 20 points and in, in, or 19 points in 19 games. You know, so they I think they're just really exceeding or cr- really doing as well as they should. So it'll be interesting, like you said, they sometimes they can win the President's Trophy and then the playoffs come around and it's. It's not really, they don't look like they did during the regular season, but I'll be interested to see. Do you, do you think that they're built for the playoffs? You know, like obviously they won the cup, but what do you think? Yeah, I think that watching them play some of their games this year, it's been a different team where they're not winning their games five to four and, you know, mm-hmm. having to outscore a lot of their games. They're winning a lot, some games two to one and one to nothing, and, and they're keeping games close in, in, and winning those games at the end. So I think they're definitely built for the playoffs. We'll see. I think the craziest thing is Kucherov isn't even playing. Kucherov is not yeah. even in until probably the playoffs, and they're still the best team in the NHL, you know, right now. So it'll be really interesting to see. But let's flip the script to the opposite of that right now, which is the team they beat in the Stanley Cup, and that's the Dallas Stars. So the Stars come into the season; they're four zero and zero in their first four games. They score like nineteen goals in the process. Their power play is sitting at somewhere around 45%, um, topping the league. Everything's looking great for the team. And then they collapse. And injuries have hurt them, obviously. But they are currently sitting in last place in the Central Division. And I know that they've played less games than every other team in there. But I don't care if you've played 20 less games. You should be ahead of the Detroit Red Wings, no matter how many less games you've played. (laughs) And they're not. They're they're sitting with 16 points. Um, if you if you look at win percentage, it looks like they are in fifth still. So still hanging around, luckily, because Nashville and Detroit uh, and even Columbus are struggling to win games. So the the top four right now in the Central seem to be on a different level than than the bottom four. Um, what do the Stars have to do? What what's let's start with this. What's 
what's hurting them the most and what do they have to do to turn it around and quickly? Yeah, I think the stars just, it's such a rough year. And I think they've just been hammered with adversity. And I, I think they're the kind of team, you know, between the, the snowstorm and all, and all through Texas and, and then just kind of dealing with injuries. It always seems like, you know, Ben got hurt early on and they're still waiting for Bish and Sagan to get back, not probably till April. They just need to get, I think their start of their season was great, you know, when they won four in a row. And I think they need to get on another run like that and just start believing in themselves because they look kind of like that 2016 stars team that, that just couldn't buy a win you know and they, they look tough just even breaking out of their zone and that that's still the case and i think they they seem like they just need to simplify the game you know really just kind of focus on those breakout passes get the pucks on the net and and then just kind of lean on guys like ben and, and pavelski who's having just an absolute year you know captain america it's just absolutely crushing it this year and, and hopefully they can get um you know just kind of some of their younger guys to step up you know miro Haskinen hasn't quite had the year that he was hoped to have and and some of uh some of the younger guys so but you're you know you watch them a lot more than i do what what do you think how can we how the star is going to climb back from the the depths below the red wings yeah so what's i agree with you completely i mean injuries have have killed them but you can't use it as an excuse i mean the, they yeah. arguably they had a better chance to win the cup last year without missing four or five of their top guys. But this year, I think the big one, the big key has been their injuries have been their scorers and the stars struggle to score in general anyway. So missing Sagan for the whole year, a lot of people thought that would be a, a huge hit to their scoring and it has been, but also hints is it been, has been in and out of the lineup. Uh, Radulov has missed like the last eight games. So they're missing their top scoring guys. Um, and that's really hurt them. And so, the big topic for the for the rest of the season is the Stars missed have played the least amount of games. They've had eight games canceled uh, or postponed. So in one argument, you can look at it and say they have all this time to make it make it up. You know they're they're four minimum of four games below anyone else. Some some teams like Detroit they played seven less games then, so they have a chance to make that up. But then you also look at it as there, before last night, they, they were going to play 43 games in 76 days. That is a lot of hockey. So not only is that going to be really hard for them to win a lot of games and really tiring for them, it's also going to lead to more injuries. So you can't rely on not having injuries be a factor because they're going to be a factor, and the coaches are going to have to now give guys games off. Or if they go down like last night 4 nothing in the second period – not play Jamie Ben for most of the third period or not play Klingberg for most of the third period. You're going to have to maintain that and really look at their time because you cannot play them as much as you is just as much as you want all the time. And the craziest thing about the rest of their season is right now, tomorrow and or today and tomorrow is their only two days off for the rest of the season. They will play yeah. either every other day or every day for the rest of the season, which is crazy because we're only in March and the season isn't until May. So it's two months of nonstop hockey. So it'll be interesting. Like you said, though, they, they just seem to not be able to find their way. And one thing that's been really uh, obvious in their games is they've started really well in a lot of their game, these games, you know, besides the Carolina series, they've been in the game right at the beginning and not just in the game. They've been dominating for the most part last night, the first 10 minutes against Tampa, they were the better team. They were out shooting them six to two. Yeah. They were out playing them. They Tampa Bay didn't even have the puck, but they can't score at the beginning. And that all of a sudden that 10 minutes of the stars not being able to score leads to frustration. And then boom, Tampa puts one in and the stars feel like, okay, well we put all that energy in and we couldn't even score. And then it goes downhill from there. So 
it'll be really interesting to see. I'm worried for the first time uh, this season. I, I wasn't worried when they first started losing in this in February. I'm worried because there's a lot of things going wrong, not just one thing. Uh, so we will see what happens, but I'm hopeful. The good news is they're in a battle with some with you know Chicago and Columbus basically for that last spot, um, as it seems that the top three are are already leagues ahead of them. So they can do it, and once they get the playoffs, you know that anything can happen. So let's hope for the best on that end. But another team that me and you I think have talked about this a ton. The yeah. the Maple Leafs have been someone who I think should have won the Stanley Cup four times already for the, in the last five years. The roster they've had has been so good. The play, the skill they have, and yet somehow they always find a way to lose either in the regular season or once they get to the playoffs. So let me ask you: the Leafs right now are in first in their division. They are scoring tons of goals. They are basically dominating that division. Are they for real this year? I mean, you can't say they're not for real, they, especially with how they're starting off. I think, you know, they could be a president's winner or something like that. With someone like Austin Matthews that's scoring on the pace that he is, and I think we'll, we'll talk more about him later, but, you know, he's just unbelievable uh, with how he can put the puck in the net. And then they're getting everything they need on the back end. You know, Morgan Riley, like all their defensively, they're just responsible. They just look really smooth. And, and maybe, you know, chalk it up to potentially a, a, a weaker division. Someone like the Canucks are underachieving and, and they're playing teams that maybe are arguably not as strong. But I, I just think that it's going to be a really fun year for Maple Leafs fans. Finally, <laughs> you know, we'll see. But um, again, like you said, you know, there's still plenty of hockey left to be played. And I think that Hopefully they'll keep firing on all cylinders, but it'll be interesting to see where they end up. Yeah, and I think it'll be intriguing too because you can't really compare them to any other team because they're only going to play the North Division for the whole season. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see if they maybe they're just better than all those teams and they come out of that division and play someone that's in a different division and get smoked again. You know, you really that's going to be really funny to look at because normally you'd see it in the first round of the, of the playoffs, but we won't see it until the conference final or whatever they're calling it, the final four, um, this season. So I think that this has been the best they've been, uh, the fact that they're able to score as many goals, but they've also won a couple low scoring games, not nearly as many. I mean, their defense is them and the Oilers, their defense is just not on the same level as some other divisions, but maybe you can outscore a team and win the cup, you know, um, we will see, you know, it hasn't really happened in recent years, but we will see what happens. Uh, they are impressive to watch, though. I, I try to watch every Leafs game I can. Um, Leafs and Oilers, anytime they're on, I try to turn it on because you're you're guaranteed to see some highlight real goals uh, at basically every period. So last topic for the, the first quarter of the season. Um, did you watch the Lake Tahoe games at all? Yeah. Wow. What a, what a spectacle. I mean, I guess they had a nice little nine-hour <laughs> nine break, but uh, – it was really cool to see, you know, outdoor hockey in, in a way that you didn't expect. And the, the setup there is just like the dream. I, but my favorite part of the, <laughs> the whole thing was, I forget who it was. It was, it was a uh, Bell Mar on the, on the avalanche and they were like interviewing him. And the whole time he thought that they were like literally playing on Lake Tahoe. And they're like, no, it's, it's by the lake. No way. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, they were freezing yeah. the lake. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. That's awesome. I don't know. That's the players just taking a day to time, and I, I don't know. I could never play in the NHL, you know. But yeah, I, but those games were a really good spectacle, I guess. So even despite the delay that happened, yeah, the delay was crazy too. Because if you watch the first period before the delay happened, it was like there was a hole in the ice, like 
it wasn't just mm-hmm. some sloppy puck work and, and some guys tripping up. There was a spot right at center ice where if you touched it, you fell no matter what. It was like playing pond mm-hmm. hockey when somebody, you know, cuts a hole in the middle of the ice and you're, you get stuck in it. And it was really dangerous, but it was kind of funny to watch because the ref is like skating one mile per hour and just <laughs> eats it because he can't skate over that spot. So they were just avoiding that spot. They would just move the puck around and dump it in around there. And then obviously that led to what I didn't like is that they waited so long to to call it a delay. Like you could look at that rink and say, this is not going to be good to play right now yeah. and call it. I sat there watching that feed for an hour while they just delayed it. And every time uh, Elberry, Mike Melberry would be like, let's, uh, we should find out now in, in about 15 minutes here. Or uh, Eddie Olchek would come on and say, NHL, Gary Bettman, uh, Commissioner Gary Bettman should be out here about 10 minutes. And then every time it would go like 30 <laughs> more minutes with anything happening. So they should have handled that better, I think. I know it's a tough situation, but it was a bummer. And it's one of the few times where being a beautiful day was a negative thing. Um, and they said the same thing about the Winter Classic in Dallas last year, where if the sun had been out, because they played it at 1 o'clock local time, if the sun had been out, that probably wouldn't have had that game in full at that time. So you got to have a little bit of luck when you're playing in Dallas and Lake Tahoe. Um, but it was definitely cool to watch. I think my favorite part was that the people out there in the kayaks were just boozing and shotgun yeah. and wearing Red Wings jerseys out there uh, cheering. Which I got to believe they, they either paid for that or the NHL brought them in or something. I, I highly doubt those are just people that came in from like their cabin over in Lake Tahoe and just paddled over to watch a hockey game because I don't think they would allow him to do it. You know, with COVID going on and everything, you got to believe that the NHL would be like, I was going to say, we can't have a bunch of kayaks sitting three feet from each other, you know, <laughs> drinking beers together. It has there to was be the, a party boat. <laughs> it has to be the first NHL game, you know, witnessed from a boat, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's gotta be. Yeah. So it was exciting though. It'll be cool to see the NHL kind of talked about how they opened the door for bringing, the game to more places now because now it doesn't have to always be yeah. a stadium now you can look at okay let's make a really cool tv spectacle because that's what this this was just like the mm-hmm. playoffs last year it was all about tv uh, because the fans weren't allowed at the game so it'll be cool to see where they can bring the game uh from there but first quarter yeah. of the season it's been interesting as we knew it would be uh, every quarter of the season is going to be interesting and looking forward to what happens, you know, going forward here. But let's jump into a much less serious topic here. Give me your favorite hockey movie. And if you want, you can give me like a top three and then pick your first one because I know there's a lot. But give me your favorite hockey movie. I mean, just pure and simple being an American, you know, growing up, I you got to pick Miracle. I think just the whole story behind that and then knowing more, you know, reading more about Herb Brooks and what he did. Uh, I think it's boys of winter, the book we, and I think you're reading it now, but it's yep. just, it's amazing to hear, you know, really everything behind that story. And, and, you know, really what that the meant for, you know, playing these college guys beating essentially professional Russian players. And so I think that just that encapsulated with the, the magic of Disney is just, you know, the perfect formula for a good hockey movie. But, you know, in the, in the purest sense, I think something like mystery Alaska is such a good movie, you know, like just like being able to skate to work or school. I love seeing that. And I think maybe that's one, but that could be my American bias. So I know, I know I'm, you know, MVPs up there probably too, you know, I think (laughs) a monkey to play hockey who couldn't love that. What a terrible movie, but so good. I used to watch that on VHS all the time. It was so bad, but so funny. 
Um, yeah, I agree. Miracle is really cool. But if you if you haven't seen anybody listening, or if you Warren haven't seen the the Red Army and of Miracles and Men are oh, two documentaries yeah. on that Miracle game, uh, and they dig more into the Russian side of it with the the players and the crazy stuff they went through, uh, which is just bizarre if you look into all the things that kind of went into that game versus just how crazy that game was and that movie is really well done i think a lot of people were probably worried when disney announced that they were going to be doing it um and, <laughs> but i think they did a good job of not disney disneyfying it up uh let's trademark that word right now um you know too much and it, it's a really exciting movie that you can watch with a family or you can watch to get pumped up for a, a men's league game or something so uh, I think my top two are, are of the less serious kind. Um, I'd say my my number two would be Slapshot. Um, <laughs> that is just yeah. – I just watched that again yeah. recently, and that's just such a, a good – I mean, there's no hockey in it, really. They don't play actual hockey. I think they, they show goals, like, for half a second, and then the rest of it is just fighting and, and cursing and, <laughs> and partying. But – it's just such a funny movie that reminds you of the days, especially if you're, you know, like us where you're kind of beyond the competitive days and it reminds you of the days in the locker room with the boys and all the fun stuff that used to go on. And nobody can understand a lock, a hockey locker room if you've never been in one. And that kind of reminds me of that, mm -hmm. you know, not that we were in there drinking beers and smoking cigars like they are in this movie, but anytime the Hansons have a conversation, it just reminds me of any time me and you talk hockey on the, on the ice um, and so that's number two, but number one, I'm going to go with D2, the mighty ducks, another, Ooh. another Disney movie. Um, I just, I don't think there's any movie if I want, if I'm in the hockey mood for some reason, even though, again, let's just be clear. There's no actual hockey in that movie. Like show a lot more <laughs> hockey, but they do the most ridiculous things. The flying V is always off sides and doesn't work. Let's just throw that out there now. But the movie is just so awesome. It's just a, such a great story, and all three of them are are funny. Um, you know, you get some you get some little kid stuff. You get some nostalgia now watching it, looking thinking back to the '90s, and then some fun hockey as well. So that's my number one. Um, speaking of that movie, though, if you haven't looked up pictures of where they are now for those people, we're not going to yeah. get too deep into it. But some of those people look great and have gone on to great careers, and some of them are getting arrested for meth addiction uh so disney is a tough business that's for sure uh so yeah, get... being disneyfied yeah. not not a, the best thing I, I think i'm I'm still waiting to see iceland in the olympics you know i think we'll see when they uh come back iceland and uh what was the team they played trinidad and tobago i think was another team they played <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the junior goodwill games um <laughs> so funny but so those are some great movies. Other ones on this mid the list. Goon is a pretty funny one. Uh, again, not very serious hockey, but um, pretty good movie. Slapshot 2 is not as good as the first, but a, a pretty classic movie. And then I put Happy Gilmore on the list, which <laughs> is funny only because he's he's so bad at hockey. And it's, so, it's made so funny in that movie how bad he is at hockey and how hard he tries at it that it's a pretty good watch and obviously one of the better movies I think ever made. Um, but let's talk now. So something that's come up over the last few years has been the idea of the, the goon and the grinder of the NHL and how much it's decreased over the years. Um, and the big point or the big thing that has led to that is that the fighting has decreased significantly and the speed of the game has increased. And I think 
my question for you is, is there still room in the NHL for those kind of guys? Obviously, the the real 100% goon isn't there anymore. That that went away a long time ago. You know, you don't get the the um, the broad street bully type players anymore. But is there still room for the grinder, you know, kind of goon type players in today's NHL? Yeah, I think, you know, it's really just becoming less and less that 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 anymore to be, you know, the, the goon or the grinder is, is I think today's power forward, someone like a Jamie Ben or, or even, you know, arguably like Bertuzzi is one that comes to mind, these real strong, tall guys, but, but just the fighting in the game has decreased really just statistically. You look at it, you know, in the early two thousands, there was somewhat of like 800 fights in the whole season. And, and last year was, you know, a spectacle. So you can't really count on that, but 2017, 2018, it was like 280, uh, and the year before that, 307. And I just think that there's fewer fights in the game that, that what they're trying to promote is more scoring and everything. And and I think it is kind of a, a great part of hockey. I think there's a lot for like standing up for your teammates and, um, and being able to, you know, take five to kind of defend your kind of all-star guys. But I, I just don't think that teams want to keep a role for a fighter, but I don't, you know, I think there's still definitely a place for the kind of grinders in the grind line. I think, even though, you know, like a third line, but then you look at someone like the Leafs and their third line, they're producing or, um, you know, there's not like a grind line, like, you know, the the Detroit Red Wings had with McCarty, Malfi and Draper. Um, But those, cause those kind of lines and those kind of guys are, I think are just, there's better athletes that are coming up. There's better ways to train and play fast. And I think guys would rather score goals and get punched in the face, but you know, that's just me. I don't know. What do you think, Sam? You're a guy that has pretty good penalty minute ratio, at least in men's league. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I'm coming to my, I believe there's another one that I'm forgetting, but the only real line, you know, full three guy grinder line mm-hmm. is that Vegas line with Reeves. Uh, I think it was Carrier yeah. and Nosik. I was on there. I don't know if it's still those three. Uh, I think Carrier or Nosik isn't there anymore, but Reeves leading the way. Uh, that's, that's the only line that I've seen and they can score. That's, they're not the, the go out and fight line. But the only line where their job is to hit you, their job is to come out and you have to keep your head up. They want to pin the puck in your zone, hit your defenseman and grind you down. And that's the true definition of a grinder. So, but you're right. I mean, it's nowadays you have, you have maybe one or two guys on your whole lineup that can play that role. And for the most part, if you are play that role, I think of like a Jason Dickinson on the stars where you're a guy who's going to get in there. Your job is to get in the dirty areas. Your job is to go to the net hard, forecheck, keep the other guys' stars away from the net. But you also are going to score some goals. And you're going to be like Jason Dixon is a perfect example for me or Ty Delandria because now those guys aren't the, you know, the, the Matt Martins who can barely skate. They're flying on the ice. They're some of the most fluid skaters, which makes them great at their job because now they can go coast to coast back check hard get into those areas quicker and be more athletic to make those plays rather than just relying on leaning on the other guy and and really grinding down those players so um, one of the other things that I think has led to this though looking back at some of those 2000 area Stanley Cup games and things like that penalties have been obviously drastically increased um, in terms of how easy it is to get a penalty you look back at a game like like the the Stanley Cup with the Stars and Sabres they would legitimately punch each other in the face, hook onto each other with a, and I'm, I'm not talking a hook like a quick tug on their arm. I'm talking arm stick Water across skiing. the, yeah, stick across their waist, pulling with all their strength, and they wouldn't get called. 
Um, and you could slash people. You could throw hits everywhere. You could throw it. You could hit the guy ten seconds after he releases the puck, and that's not the case anymore. So now you almost can't be that kind of player because you're just going to get penalties over and over again, and no team is going to sign a guy that's just getting more penalties than he is anything else. That's why someone like uh, Ryan Garbett and Antoine Roussel struggled mightily over the last few years because they were getting too many penalties and they were going too far across the line. So that's been a big, a big you know, factor into why they're kind of not really around anymore. But if you were to pick just any name out of the NHL right now, who do you think plays the, and you can pick a power forward that still scores, anybody you want, but if you were to think of a grinder, who plays that role to the most, or to most success? Yeah. That's a tough one. I, I think, yeah, my, I would debate between someone like Shaw, you know, and maybe who's literally heading the puck in. And, and obviously like right away, I think your grinder, like it's gotta be someone without a half or even on. So, you know, that eliminates a few guys like Roussel, at least does he No, he, I don't think he has a half or someone does. like Lucic too. I mean, the guys Lucic, someone that you, you like you, we were talking pre-shows when he's got the puck on his stick, it's, he's not Brad Marchand, you know, and, and, uh, you know, but definitely a guy that is sought after. I think a voice in the locker room and, and someone that is an older guy, but still throws his body around and, and takes hits. And, and it's pretty respectable, honestly. Um, as far as a grinder, you know, not, not like Reeves to someone that comes to mind, but I just gave you three answers, but what <laughs> would okay. you say? It's tough. Cause they're not, there's not, you know, it's very gray uh, nowadays with these kind of guys, but um, interesting enough, though, did you know the rule? I just found this out probably last year. The rule is if you already didn't use a half shield before the new rule, you can keep not using one like Jamie Benn and Reeves and uh, Shaw. But if you didn't, if you come into the league, you have to wear one. So you're going to get rid of that whole goon-type look. Even if you are, even if you do come in as a guy like that, you have to wear a shield no matter what. So... Um, that'll be interesting to see when these guys start to fade out. Everyone in the league is going to start, he's going to be wearing these, these shields, um, which is probably a safe rule. Uh, but it's interesting to see that I think, and I might be biased from watching this, the, yeah. the, how many times he's done it to the stars, but Ryan Reeves, as much as I dislike him, he makes a difference in games. Um, he's not very good at skill. He does. He can yeah. score some goals, but he just, he doesn't just go out of his way to hit people. That's that's the difference is that he he hits people, separates them from the puck, and he makes them mis- make mistakes because he they see them coming. So, you know, guys like Klingberg who are so sound with the puck, you get hit by a guy like Ryan Reeves who is a massive human being four times in a game, all of a sudden you're going to look over your shoulder a little bit when you make that play in the corner. So I think if I was to pick one, he's probably the most successful right now um, in terms of like pure grinders because – if you get into the gray area of power forwards, then you start looking at guys like you said, Jamie Ben and Corey Perry yeah. and Brendan Gallagher and all these guys that are that are also goal scorers, but can Brady get Chuck. Uh, He's an Mar- up and coming Brady yeah. Chuck. Marshawn is another one as well. Yeah. Um, so I'll say pure grinders. I'm going to go with Ryan Reeves, but it's definitely uh, becoming yeah. a lost art, and it's it's fading more and more. Um, I think now it's kind of like one to two players that can play that that dirty type of grind game where you really can get in people's faces and, and <laughs> lean on the other guy. Uh, but for the most part, it's not, it's not the same as it used to be. Um, so let's get into, to some specific, uh, specific players. I here. just like that. You called it an art. That just, 
It is. It's a tough. It's a tough style. I mean, these guys are in the lock. Usually, they're always the one. I just wrote an article about this uh, for, for men's league players, but they're usually the first guys in the locker room too, because they're the most excited. They're the most intense usually. Um, they're the guys that are tying their skates 14 times because of their OCD. Uh, <laughs> um, and I just love it. I, I, I played it in high school, so I love the role, and I think it's a, a fun role to play. Um, maybe not in a men's league because that's where you want to be flying and scoring, but if you're in a competitive team that has scores and you can go out there and knock a minute off the clock yeah. in the offensive zone and lay some hits, uh, it is an art, and it's, you have to do it smart because you can't take too many penalties and all that, but... Uh, let's get into some specific players now for over the first quarter of the season that have been over or underachieving. Um, why don't you go ahead? Let's start with overachievers. Why don't you give me like your top three or four of people who have been just right out of the gates this season? Yeah, I think, you know, someone like Kirill Kaprasov, you know, he's a rookie, but he's just blowing it away. He's just blowing the, the, the division of the central away. It Like he's, Obviously, played the KHL was successful, but the 17 goals he has, and, and then just in filthy fashion, and he's just a great, strong skater. You know, just plays on both ends of the ice. He's like plus eight on the season. I just, he's just awesome. Um, you know, and as a rookie to step in, and I think he's leading the rookie pack significantly, at least in points. The next guy being Stutzel, but I just see him really overachieving. And then someone like Tyler Toffoli, you know, so that the the Canadians picked up. Um, kind of on a whim almost and and the way that he's coming away like with the hat trick he had and having 19 um, sorry 17 points in 19 games is someone else that just really it's not someone you had seen kind of coming up but uh, definitely someone that's overachieving and it's a big list this year and some veterans for sure but I wanted to save your favorite I know you, you got someone to bring up for, for uh, the team that you like to see play yeah uh, going on um to Foley, he's kind of slowed down a little bit, so which worries me that it was just kind of a fluke start. I hope it's not because I like watching him score, and I like anyone yeah. in Canadians who can who can show up because they have so many troubles over the last year getting a, getting elite players. Um, but yeah, if I was to say biggest ones that just have blown me away, Joe Pavelski came out this year and four goals in the first four games, three on the power play. He's basically had a hand in every power play goal that's happened this season for the Stars. Um, he's got 10 goals and 10 assists. He's plus five, which as of right now is hard to do on the Stars team because they're giving up so many goals and losing so many games right now that being a plus five is says a lot about, about how you play the game. Um, he's incredible at face-offs. He's not even playing center that much right now. He's playing wing. Um, but coming in, he's won a ton of his face-offs when he has to, to take them, and he is the best net front player in the league, I think. Um, in terms of deflections, let's say that. I think that guys like Hornquist and stuff are, are probably better at screens and rebounds and getting in goalies' faces. But Pavelski just gets a stick on everything. It looks like he's out of the play, and he's able to get a stick on and deflect it. And having 20 points already for them in 15 games, uh, 16 now, is an incredible feat. So Pavelski's a big one. And then Austin Matthews, uh, and we talked about this, how he's you know he's expected to be good. He's a superstar. But he has 18 goals in 20 games, leading the league by yeah. far, and that is insane. Like he's always a he's a goal scorer, and he started immediately scoring four goals in his first ever game. But the fact that he also has 13 assists and is a plus 10 on the year just shows that he is absolutely on fire right now, and that team is on fire and scoring a lot of goals. But I think that we expected him to be good. I don't think anyone expected him to be that good. 
um, which has been really, really cool to, to watch. And then one more, I'm going to give my third one to Marc-Andre Fleury, who what adversity he had to deal with coming in with basically being told that Leonard was going to be the future of Vegas. Uh, they signed him yeah. to a big deal. Fleury was kind of the afterthought. Uh, many people thought that he wasn't even going to sign in Vegas again. He's taken over this year. He's eight and three with a 1.55 goals against and a 0.942 save percentage, which are very, very good numbers. Um, and he's been the guy, you know, I know that, um, their GM and their coaches have talked about how they want to bring kind of a, a, a swap back and forth, you know, alternating goalies back again. But how can you do that right now when Flurry is just considerably outperforming Leonard? Um, and he's got the experience. He's won cups. He's he I think he was he was the goalie for their back to back cups. Um, so he's been someone who's just absolutely outperformed what people believed he would this year. And he kind of he could have easily fell off. He could have just been like, all right, this is they're going to choose Leonard over me, kind of hang my head and let's move on to another team. And he didn't do that. And he's he's proving that he's still a very elite goaltender in the league. So let's talk the opposite. <laughs> Who is underachieving significantly this season? Uh-oh. Did we lose Warren? All right. I think we lost Warren for a minute here, so let's let him reconnect. Um, let's keep talking here. So I'm going to talk about underachievers. This year, I think a big, a big thing uh, for players at the beginning has been that they're not scoring as many goals as they should be scoring. Um, guys like like Evgeny Malkin, who only has four goals now in 19 games, um, and he's a, a measly minus eight as well. So getting a lot of poor performance from him. You know, I don't think he's normally a plus player because he's he's kind of a, a risk defensively. But only four goals and eight assists in 19 games and a minus eight, well under what they need him to be in Pittsburgh, and what they need him to be if they're going to make the playoffs in that uh, East division. So Malkin's a big one. Uh, another one has been in that same division has been Mika Zibanejad, who had a, a very, very successful season last year, only has six points in 18 total games. Um, he's been, been playing considerably better over the last few games, but overall, you know, he's kind of been not really the guy that the Rangers need him to be. And he needs to step it up if that team's going to make it. Now, all of a sudden, the Rangers are scoring tons of goals. Um, they're winning a bunch of games, and they're getting some good goaltending, kind of putting a lot of those pieces together. And then just as you thought they were going to be good, Panarin gets this crazy political bash from Russia and has to step away from the league for a little bit. Uh, but Zibanejad is someone who needs to step up, especially now without Panarin in the lineup for a while. Do we have Warren back? He's back. Yes, we got him. All right, jump in. I, I talked about... Uh, I talked about Evgeny Malkin and Mika Zibanejad while you were while you were out. So, who do you think is underachieving this season? I think that defensive pair in Columbus, the Jones and Wrenski, they're two guys that we really thought were going to be kind of, um, you know, candidates on the back end for the Norris Trophy, and that that team is just I don't know had a lot. You know, maybe they'll get a little more scoring and everything like that, um, but. I think that those two guys on the back end being, you know, minus, I think Jones is minus 11. Wierenski is minus nine. It's just, 
pretty tough to to get the wins that that kind of team has expectations for. Yeah, that and that's but basically that's basically they they go and where the where that pair goes. If that pair isn't scoring goals and isn't playing well, they're not playing well. And so that's been a huge one. Um, they are considered the top pair in the league by a lot of people. So seeing them at at that minus twenty overall uh, in the first yeah. twenty two games or so is is really bad. So Wierenski especially Jones still has ten assists. Wierenski only has five points total. So. Um, they definitely need to step it up big time. But um, another one that's big, and you know how much I love him, Miro Haskinen. Yeah. He, he's not playing bad. I want to make that very clear. He's not making a bunch of mistakes and looking bad. He's still one of the fastest guys on the team, makes a lot of good plays defensively. But he only has nine points all year, no goals, which is crazy to think. Mm-hmm. And he's a minus five. Um, and if you watch the stars, you know, I watch them very closely – um, if you watch the games, he just isn't the difference maker that he was last season, especially in the playoffs. I mean, he had 26 points in 27 playoff games last year, so he was the guy last year. Um, but he just hasn't been making that difference, and it doesn't have to be goal scoring for him. He just used to make a difference. I think I used to text you every game and say, look at this incredible play by, by Haskin. And defensively, it's little things. It's it's making a, a swift little move out of his own zone to make a great pass on the breakout. It's a little sneaky poke check. It's making the right read to back off at the right time or step up and take away ice at the right time. And it just seems like he's not doing those things that are making noticeable changes in the game, um, along with making some plays where he used to always slide down the boards and beat people in the offensive zone. Now it seems like he's getting pinched and he's not getting that play. Um, he's yeah. getting beat a little bit on the outside and I'm not sure what's going on. He, to me, he doesn't look like, and he's always kind of a quiet, shy looking kid. He doesn't look like he's in the game as much as he was though. He's kind of just going through the motions right now. So really, really hope not only as a stars fan, but as an NHL fan that wants to watch him do what he did, that he can turn that around. Um, maybe he'll be the guy that turns that star season around if he can really step up because he's a massive part of that team. But it's been kind of surprising that that he hasn't been that that kind of player um, this season. So I think those are the biggest ones for underachievers. And we'll see. The The craziest part about this season is it's basically going to swap the way the season has gone and last year. All these underachievers might be overachievers next time we do this this subject on a yeah. podcast in you know, a month or two. Um, and the, you know, the Toffoli type players that maybe came out a little too hot for their own skill level might kind of fade out a little bit. Um, people think Pavelski might fade, but he doesn't look like he's ever going to fade. He's basically 50 years old and scoring 40 goals a season now. So, um, it's, it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens here, but let's jump real quick into our final topic. Uh, I have a question for you. I just kind of thought of this, that this weekend while I was watching or this past weekend while I was watching some college games. Do you prefer the college version, white at home, blue on the road, or do you like the NHL, or sorry, dark on the road, or do you like the white on the road and dark at home that they do in the NHL? That's such a good question. Yeah, I think the, what are they, they switched it somewhere before the lockout in the NHL. And I just think that most teams' dark jerseys are so good looking. And I, I, so I really like the dark at home. And I think it's so cool that with all the third jerseys that teams have, and then, you know, teams that just like wear their whites, even if they're at home sometimes, I think is really cool too. So I don't think you can go wrong. I think that, I think the more that we have cool jerseys and the more that there's kind of variability and the way they can get the reverse retros, which 
God help us with some of those, but you know, some of the third jerseys and team jerseys are awesome. So I don't know. What do you, what do you prefer? I agree with you hundred percent. I think that what I think could, could happen. I, I think dark jerseys for the most part are the better Jersey for most teams. Uh, maybe Buffalo has some pretty awesome whites and a couple teams have some really cool away jerseys, but I think the dark Jersey and, and they do it on purpose. You know, when you have more colors, it's easier to make it look a lot cooler on the ice. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I kind of wish they did is is split it up where, you know, sometimes you'll see a team wear white once or twice a season at home. Why not wear it 10 to 15 times a season, you know, in a regular 82 season game? Um, you get to choose what jersey you wear. And I don't know if there's a rule on how many times. I'm sure the NHL, with how strict they are, probably has something. But I would say if I could choose, I would say let's wear, you know, let's if we have 41 home games, let's wear the the dark jerseys 30 times something like that where it's more than than the white jerseys but you kind of get a switch and then the then the visiting teams get to see your cool home jerseys you know the the carolina fans get to see the dark the dark greens the dark blues of other teams they wouldn't get to see um so that's how i feel but i agree i think uh college i don't know why they do it and i I would love to do more research on why it's still that way because the nhl made that switch you know some years back but um, some, yeah. sometimes it looks really cool. I know Boston college has really cool whites. Um, but I feel like if you were to look, especially when those college games are sold out and they're doing like a red out or a, a, a blue out in the rink and then the team on the ice is wearing white, <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense to me in those yeah. small yeah. barns in, in BC and, and Wisconsin and those kind of places. So I would like to see it split in both leagues where you can wear whichever one. Um, and when you have a game where you're going to do a white out as your you know, as Penn, if you're Penn State and you're going to white out like they do in their football games, you wear white. Yeah. Or if you're going to do a blue out, you wear blue, whatever it is. So you can kind of make it look cooler in the rink. <laughs> um, but it's just an interesting, an interesting topic. The funny thing about the retros that you mentioned is I put the Stars as probably the worst retro in the league. And mm-hmm. both times they're supposed to wear it so far has gotten postponed. So maybe they just never wear it and we won't have to see that ridiculous thing on the ice. Um Maybe it'll just keep getting I think, postponed. I think, and I know that, but then I think they're also doing it because all teams just want to avoid seeing the Nashville Predators yellow jerseys, <laughs> you know, when they're home team. Can you imagine just the, the yellow, the puke out, the yellow out? It's just yeah, it's pretty bad. Red, that, that's one of those, that's one of those rinks where I just mentioned the blue outs and the white outs the teams do can look so cool. The yellow out is awful. It is yeah. so gross, and it, it combines with, uh, with Saros's pads, which are also all yellow, and you're just like, how do you take yourself seriously on the rink with that that thing going on? If I was a Predators fan, I would buy a white jersey immediately or buy an old jersey that doesn't look as ugly, um, you know, when they had blue and gray. But, yeah, yeah, they have some pretty ugly colors in Nashville, and unfortunately, I live there, so I have to see those colors at my my men's league rink every day. Um but yeah, it's a pretty ugly thing. So Warren, this was fun. Episode five already. We're flying by here on the Slapshot podcast, but thanks so much for joining me. And we will be back next week for episode six of the Slapshot podcast. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>